Our Father, we thank you that you so loved this world, you so loved us, that you sent Jesus to this world in order to redeem us. He came as a little baby, but he did not remain as a baby. He, he grew, he taught, gave us many great things to learn from him, but more than that, he died. And then he was resurrected and he shares that victory with us. We thank you, Lord, for these incredible truths. And Lord, I pray that we truly will be treasuring Jesus in our hearts through this Christmas season. And I pray that as we open the scripture today that you will help us to see more and more about what that looks like. How do we treasure Jesus? How do we uh, come to truly appreciate what was accomplished through his birth, life, death, and resurrection? So please teach us now from your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as hard as it is to believe, we certainly are in the middle of Christmas season. And when we think about Christmas, there are many different reasons why people enjoy the Christmas season. I think, for instance, of decorations. I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, I always enjoy seeing Christmas decorations. And you enjoy the food associated with Christmas, or the family time, or the events like concerts and parties and Christmas Eve services. There's so many special aspects of the Christmas season. For many people, the most exciting thing in their Christmas season are Christmas presents. I think especially of children, how children, they for weeks or even months are dreaming about what they will receive for Christmas. You know, adults get into it as well. Uh, people here, Americans this year are estimated to spend about $500 billion dollars on Christmas presents. I mean, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? $500 billion, and it doesn't even include the several hundred billion more on other Christmas-associated things. So Christmas presents, in terms of the gifts that we give and receive, they are a big deal. But when we really come to the topic of Christmas from God's perspective, we need to look at a different type of Christmas presents. And the presence that I am talking about that we need to focus our attention on is the presence of God that has arrived in this world in the birth of Jesus. God on earth in human form. Jesus, we have to understand, is the ultimate Christmas present. He is the gift that keeps on giving down through the generations and down through the course of our lives. And so uh, today and for the next few weeks, we're talking about this idea of presence, God's presence, Christmas presence. But again, you recognize this is presence that's spelled a bit differently than the gifts that we give and receive. This is presence talking about God being present with us. And we have to understand that God designed us to live in his presence. Think back to how we were created, Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had such intimate, close relationship and fellowship with God in his presence until they sinned. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, quote, they hid themselves from the presence of God. I mean, kind of a foolish type of thing to do, but, but that's, they wanted to get away from God. They tried to hide themselves from his presence. Yet God still knew that we as humans are designed to live in the presence of God. So you fast forward down through history. Look at the Israelites back in the Old Testament era. God revealed his presence to them in a variety of ways. I think, for instance, of how as they're traveling from Egypt into the Promised Land, God accompanied them. He even led them 
in the form of a pillar of cloud by, by day and a pillar of fire by night. That fire and that cloud represented God's presence leading them. I think as well as they were traveling through the wilderness, God instructed them to build this tent structure, a large tent called a tabernacle. And then when they entered the promised land to build the temple, and these structures represented God's presence in their midst. And within each of these structures, there was a special room called the most holy place. And the most holy place was seen as the place on earth where God's presence is the most powerful. So God was manifesting his presence in various ways to Israel. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. Now incarnate, it's a Latin word that means God in the flesh. God in human form. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God walking on earth with people. And he is the supreme manifestation of the presence of God. Now, after Jesus was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. But he said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. What he's referring to there is that he would send the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, who would come live inside of us, God's presence in us, in order to empower us and and to guide us and to transform us. And so we have that privilege of the presence of God living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And we look forward to the future one day when in heaven we will be in the very presence of God face to face with him. And so hopefully you see from this brief overview that from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we were designed to live in the presence of God. And we're talking about this topic through the rest of of this, this Christmas season with a specific focus on Jesus and on his birth. But today I want to start out looking at an experience of God's presence back in the Old Testament. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And as you're turning there, I want to just share some background about this passage to help us understand what's going on. Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. When they went to Egypt, they were just a large family, but over the course of those years, they grew into hundreds of thousands of people. So they'd been enslaved. They do not like slavery. No one likes being enslaved. And so they cry out to God for deliverance, and God raises up Moses to lead them out of slavery. And so God, miraculously through Moses, is leading them out from Egypt towards what is called the Promised Land. And along that journey, they come to Mount Sinai. And that was a very significant place. They camped out at Mount Sinai for a while. And a lot of big things happened there. For one, it was at Mount Sinai that God declared that Israel is his special people. And he gave them his law to help them understand how to live in relationship with him. Now, in addition to that, uh, it was at Mount Sinai that, that Moses was meeting with God up on the mountain. The people were down the valley. Moses was up on the mountain. Things were going really, really well until they weren't. Because while Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, the people down the valley got kind of restless. Maybe they got kind of bored, decided to take things in their own hands. They decided, hey, let's melt down our gold jewelry and make this little calf, like a little statue of a little baby cow. And then to make matters worse, they decided, hey, let's bow down and worship this little baby calf. This little golden calf. That, not, not a good idea, especially when not very long before, there at Mount Sinai, God made it very clear in the first commandment he gave them, you shall have no other gods before me. 
In the second of the Ten Commandments, God has already told them, you shall not bow down and worship to anything other than me, any idol. Don't bow down to those things. Yet here they are at the base of Mount Sinai, bowing down and worshiping this little golden calf. Bad idea. Things became very problematic in a big hurry. God was angry, and the people showed themselves to be completely untrustworthy in terms of their faithfulness to God. But then God told Moses, you know what, take these people, head out from Mount Sinai. That's where we pick up the passage today, Exodus 33. I invite you to follow along as I read verses 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, in this passage, Moses' underlying question is, who will go with me? Moses is kind of in a tough spot right here. He, he is kind of daunted by the task ahead of him. On the one hand, he knows that, that, that he has God's favor. And he knows that God has called him to lead Israel into the promised land. And he knows that God has declared Israel as God's special people. Moses knows these things. Yet he is still very scared. He's very timid about what's going to come next. And so he says, God, who are you going to send me with me on this? And he says it in a bit more of an accusatory way than just a question of who will go with me. He, he actually is quite accusatory. He's indicting God, basically saying, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. So he's inferring, God, you need to answer my question. You need to send someone with me if I'm going to lead these people into the promised land. And I imagine that we can all relate to that feeling of who's going to go with me. When we're sitting out on something, it might be a little bit daunting. Think back, especially if you're, if you're an adult, think back to when you were younger. I, I think of when I was young, I grew up in Missouri. I grew up uh, out in the country. And my family, um, our house, around the house, we didn't have like a bunch of motion lights or lights up on a pole. It was dark. And, and my sister and I had our bedrooms and our playroom up on the second floor of our house upstairs. And in the evening, when it was dark outside, I was kind of scared to go upstairs by myself. So what would I do? I would ask my sister, Adrian, can you go upstairs with me? Now, she usually didn't want to. And it's kind of funny to think about that because she's three years younger than I am. She's not exactly the most fearsome bodyguard. Yet, I still felt such comfort and confidence when she was with me going upstairs. And, you know, it's funny. My kids are the same way, especially when it's dark. Sometimes you tell them they need to go upstairs. They want to go get something. And they get kind of scared. They want someone to go with them. It's a, it's a universal desire that when we're heading out on a journey, especially one that might have some uncertainties, we feel much more comfortable and much more confident when there is someone going with us. So Moses asked God, who will go with me? He's like, if I'm going to lead these people, I need someone to be going with me to help, help me in this leadership process. Because leadership can be a daunting task. 
Because when someone is leading people, they become the focal point for criticism because they're always going to be naysayers. They're always going to be complainers. And no matter how good the leader is, no matter what, how good the wise counsel is around the leader, there are going to be times that leaders make decisions that flop. And there are going to be times when leaders make good decisions that the people misunderstand and that the leaders are going to get a lot of heat for those decisions they make. And so leadership is not always that easy, especially when it's spiritual leadership, because when you're trying to be a godly leader, you, are, you recognize you're accountable to God. And you want to lead people on the God's agenda, following God's ways. But sometimes God's ways and God's plan are not quite as clear as we wish they were. Yet there are still times when a decision has to be made. And so the leaders make the best decision by faith, take a step of faith. But ultimately, they're still asking God, God, are you going with me on this? Is this the direction that you're leading? Because I don't want to lead or I don't want to go in a way that steps outside of your will. So that's essentially what Moses was experiencing here when he says, who will go with me? Well, God responds to him in verse 14 and says, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. So God promises his presence to Moses. And Moses has experienced the presence of God before a number of different times. That's why he knows how important God's presence is. Uh, We don't have to look far to find an example of God's presence in Moses' life. I mean, just look in Exodus 33, the passage right before what I just read. Pick up in verse 7 with me. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent... And pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And so we see a reference here of of Moses meeting with God, Moses experiencing the presence of God. And we see a reference here again to this pillar of cloud. Now remember, as, as, as Israel is traveling from Egypt into the promised land, God had been guiding them through this pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when that cloud or that fire moved, that was an indication to Israel that they too should move and follow that cloud or that fire. And when it stood still, when it stopped moving, that was an indication to Israel it is time to stop and set up camp. And whenever they set up camp, then Moses would set up his tent, and it became called the tent of meeting, because it was in that tent that Moses would meet and talk with God. So Moses had a lot of experience with the presence of God. And that's what Moses was wanting to experience here again. And God said, you know what, I will give you my presence. My presence will go with you. And not only that, but I will give you rest. I will give you rest. When we recognize that God is with us and that we are in the presence of our trustworthy God, it can give us a significant sense of peace and reassurance. It can give us rest from anxieties 
and fears. Why? Because we know that God is trustworthy, kind of like a child in the presence of a trustworthy parent. We can recognize, you know what, God, you are in control. I can trust that you're going to take care of this, even if I don't know exactly how it's all going to pan out here. And, And so we see that God can give us peace and rest a peace that, tra- that surpasses all understanding. Even when we face fear and anxiety and uncertainty and, and, and loneliness, God's, God's presence can give us a sense of peace. I think back to when I was 21 years old. I grew up in Missouri, and my first three years of college were in Missouri, but then I moved up to Minnesota to finish my degree at a different school. Now, my school in Minnesota was eight hours away from my home in Missouri. And, and I'd already lived off campus for a while, so I didn't want to move back in the dorms. So I got a one-bedroom apartment a few blocks from campus, and my parents helped me move up there, and then my parents went home. And I only knew one person, I knew of one person in the entire state of Minnesota at that point. Classes weren't going to start for several days more. All my friends and family were back at home in Missouri I remember it was a Saturday morning, my parents left, and here I am by myself. And I remember that Saturday evening sitting at my kitchen table with tears just rolling down my cheeks. And if you know me at all, you know I don't cry much. I'm not a highly emotional person. I don't cry much. So that's a big deal when I have these tears just rolling off my face, rolling onto the table. But that's the fear. That's not the fear. That's the, that's the loneliness. That's the sense of isolation I felt there Eight hours for my friends and family. I'd been a, a follower of Jesus for about 18 months at that point. And I believe this was where God was calling me. Yet, I felt so lonely, so isolated. Kind of wondered, why am I here? So as I'm sitting there, just with tears just rolling down my cheeks, I had this little light bulb moment. And I remembered, you know what? God is the same here in Minnesota as he was down in Missouri. And instantly when I realized that, and I began to focus my mind back on God and the fact that he is present here, this wave of peace just rushed over me. I mean, it was really an amazing experience how when you recognize the presence of a loving God right there in your midst, it gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And then as I'm sitting at a table still with wet tears in my cheeks and on the table... I began to remember, you know what? It's Saturday night, tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, church. So I pulled out the phone book, opened up to the yellow pages. That tells how long ago it was. Yellow pages. Found the church that was a few blocks away from me. I went to the church the next morning, and that was something else that gave me a sense of hope, of thinking, you know what? I can meet with God here, and I, I can find a church family here. And so I went to church the next morning, and that became a great church home for the next couple of years. I want to get back to that point about how we fail. We all face those times in our lives where we're lonely or when we are afraid or when we are uncertain. In those times, recognizing the presence of God can transform that experience and give us a peace that transcends all understanding. And so a key point that we must uh, realize is that recognizing the presence of God will not always fix your problems, but it will clarify your perspective and calm your heart. God, the theological term is he is uh, um, omnipresent. 
He is everywhere. He is always here. And recognizing the presence of God will not always fix your problems, but it will clarify your perspective and calm your heart. Now, why does it do this? It's because when you recognize the presence of God and recognize the character of who God is, we know that, you know what? He is trustworthy. Therefore, we can depend on him. He is a loving presence who will never leave us and never forsake us. And so the question is, who will go with you when you face storms in your life or when you face an uncertain future? Who will go with you when it feels like the world or even your friends have turned their back on you or forgotten you? Who will go with you when you feel isolated or alone? God. God will go with you. God will be with you. And this gives us a sense of, of peace. It doesn't mean that all of our dreams will be fulfilled. It doesn't mean that all of our problems will magically be fixed. That's usually not how it works. But recognizing the presence of God can give us clarity in our perspective of what's going on. It can calm our heart amidst fear or loneliness or uncertainty. And so, so it's, it's, it's really just a precious thing to recognize the presence of God just as Moses did. And, and again, it gives us this peace. I think of 1 Peter 5, 7, where, where Peter says, cast all of your anxieties on him, God, because he cares for you. Or I think of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where the apostle Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see very clearly, we are tempted by our circumstances to be anxious and to be worried and to be fearful. That's natural because we all have circumstances at times that sometimes they just stink. Sometimes they cause deep heartache or they just cause major uncertainty about the future. In those times, we're called to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And we are told to go to God in prayer. Prayer, I, I believe, is the primary way to be consistently reminded of the presence of God that is always around us. God is always there. It's just a question of whether we recognize his presence and lean on his presence. So on this topic of prayer, I think of a man who lived back in the 1600s. His name was Brother Lawrence. And he, he was a, a simple man, a very humble man. He became a monk. And in the monastery, his job was to cook and to wash dishes. I mean, very basic things. But for Brother Lawrence, the reason we know his name at all these days is because he had such a deep relationship with God. His deep heart for God was immortalized in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Now, Brother Lawrence did not set out to write a book. What happened was that some of his superiors there in, in, in that church setting um, recognized his deep relationship with God. So they sent someone to interview Brother Lawrence uh, just to, to find out about his heart for God. And those interviews, the, the, the notes from those conversations, along with other notes that Brother Lawrence had written and his friends found after he died, they were turned into this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And in this book, he, he just talks about just the joy that he finds just by 
communing with God on an ongoing basis, primarily through ongoing prayer. Let me read you a couple quotes from this book. Brother Lawrence, he had a number of resolutions that he made in his life of how he would live, and one of them says this, that we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. So he is pointing to the, the, the secret, if you want to call it a secret, uh, of recognizing and experiencing the presence of God, which is always there, but recognizing it is through a continual conversation with him in prayer. Another place in the book, he, he said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. So what Brother Lawrence is pointing to here, and I think this is completely true, is that the best type of life we can ever live is one that is in constant recognition and constant rejoicing of our relationship with God, of recognizing his presence right here in our midst. And and the way that we do that, the way we tap into that, is through continually just talking with him in prayer. And so this begs a question of how is your prayer life? How, How is your prayer life? Do we have this continual conversation with him? Or I think we all fall far short, most likely, of Brother Lawrence's standard, his his experience. Because we so easily get caught up in the busyness of life. And we so easily depend on ourselves. I don't know about you, but it's easy to go through my life and realize, you know, for the last half hour, the last hour, maybe the last half day, I didn't even think about prayer. But Brother Lawrence was able to cultivate this process in his life, a lifestyle of just a continual ongoing conversation with God. And and if we need a jump start, I think a great place to start is just read this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a great jump start, great, just refreshing um, insight into what it looks like to talk with God and experience his presence on a regular basis. So we have this incredible privilege of enjoying the presence of God any time and all the time. But there is a warning I think we need to understand. The warning is that we still need to take God seriously. Because there are times that we can just get so buddy-buddy with God and think, you know what, God is so great that we can just lean on him and come into his presence anytime. We have to remember God is still God, and we still need to take God seriously. And Moses had a very clear reminder of this and what happens next. He gets a little bit more bold in this passage. He says in verse 18 to God, Please show me your glory. That is a bold request. It says, And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. If you were here a few weeks ago, that's the name Yahweh, this intimate, powerful name of God. God says, And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now there is a lot going on in this passage. Not going to take the time to fully unpack it all, but the main point here is that God's glory is more than we can handle. 
is way more than we can handle. Now what's taking place is it's sort of a personification of God. It's actually called anthropomorphism where God takes on some human features in order to help humans understand who he is. Because we have to remember, God does not inherently have a body. But God is using these human features to help Moses understand a little, a little bit about him of what's going to take place. But the bottom line here is that no one can see the fullness of God's glory and live. We cannot handle the fullness of God's glory and God's holiness. And so we need to remember that as we come before God, that, that, that he is not to be our homeboy. He is not merely a boyfriend. I have seen t-shirts and books about these things. But he is still the transcendent, holy God of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one that if someone were to see the fullness of his glory... In our sinful state, it would kill us instantly. We cannot handle that. And so we need to make sure that as we come before God, yes, we can come confidently into his presence through faith in Christ. That is a privilege that Jesus gives us. But we still ought to come with a sense of reverence, a sense of gratitude, a sense of praise. And what a privilege it is to know God. But let us not take that lightly. But it is a privilege, nonetheless. And when we remember just the transcendence, the holiness of God, then it makes what happens at Christmas, what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to this earth, it makes that all the more amazing, which we will see next week. The transcendent holy God taking on human flesh. That is amazing. Now we come back to Moses once again and see that he got this little fleeting glimpse of sort of the glory of God, but he got an experience of God's presence unlike pretty much anyone else back then. And we have to understand that throughout the Old Testament era, the experience of God's presence was restricted to just a select few. But Jesus, one of the glories of what Jesus accomplished for us is that it opens access to God's presence to anyone and everyone who had come to faith in him. What a joy it is to be able to know God in a personal way, to experience the peace and the joy that come from knowing him. And a lot of people in this world, they have skewed perspectives of God. Because a lot of people, they look at God as a judge who is really just out there condemning them or sucking all the fun out of life. That's one way that people skew God in their mind. Another way is that people sometimes look at God just as this genie in the bottle or uh, some sort of cosmic vending machine who is there to give them a happy, healthy life. And then when they don't experience the fullness of happiness and health, then they get all upset at God. That's a skewed view of God as well. Some other people who get very passionate about ministry, and I, can, I confess I, I, I can easily follow into this path, you get so passionate about ministry, about doing things for God, that you lose sight of the joy of the relationship with God. But what a privilege it is that God wants to know us and that God wants to walk with us through life, not because he is lonely and certainly not because he is needy, but because he is loving. He wants to journey with us. So the question is, as we go through the ups and downs of life, who will walk with us through this journey? Who will go with us? God will. And we think in terms of Christmas presence, this has to be the greatest one of all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you 
want to walk with us. And that no matter where we've been in our lives, no matter what we've done, no matter how messed up things have gotten, that we can always still turn back to you. Jesus, we thank you that you open a way through your life, death, and resurrection that when we come to faith in you, you create a way for us to come into God's presence without fear of condemnation, but we can come confidently, even boldly, still with a sense of reverence and awe, but we can come with joy. You can give us peace. And Lord, as we are going through this Christmas season, as we go through life in this broken world, Lord, we recognize that there are so many challenges and hardships. There are those in this room who, even in this Christmas season, are grieving. Perhaps because of the loss of a loved one recently or in the distant past that the season brings up in their mind. There are those even here today who are facing deep heartaches and hardships that maybe others don't understand. Maybe people who, who feel like they are just isolated and all lonely, that no one else really cares for them. Others who are facing major uncertainties about their future, whether because of health issues or because of finances or because of just not knowing where in the world they're going in life. Lord, in this broken world, we all face troubles. But we thank you that you give us a source of peace and a source of joy that transcends our circumstances. We see in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to find joy, not in our circumstances, but in you. Thank you that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And I pray that as we journey through this Christmas season and beyond, that we will experience the joy and the peace that comes from your presence in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.